Hello, and welcome to another edition of Forrester's CX Cast. Each week, we speak with an analyst from the customer experience team about their research or discuss a customer experience topic in the news. Along with my co host, analyst Diana Lawfer, my name is Sam Stern. You will hear both of our voices each week. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, uh, and for as long as my co-host Diana Laufer is on maternity leave, I am your sole host, and this week I am welcoming uh, back to the podcast senior analyst Rick Parrish. Hello, Rick. Hello, Sam. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us. And we wanted to talk to Rick about his uh, recent report uh, that's been getting a lot of readership and for good reason, and that's why we wanted to share it with you, listeners. Uh, it's called Getting to Yes, Five Strategies to Earn Cooperation from Customer Experience Ecosystem Stakeholders. So, uh, Rick, thanks for joining us. And, and first question to you is, um, I can guess the reasons why it's important to um, get this uh, buy-in, get this cooperation from ecosystem stakeholders, but can you tell us what happens or what's likely to happen when you don't have this buy-in or this support? Absolutely. Really, uh, two things tend to happen when you don't have this sort of buy-in from, from the other stakeholders. The first is that um, uh, people just they just don't understand the role that they play in delivering the customer mm-hmm. experience. Yep. You know, these behind-the-scenes offices, they just don't get it. And, um, and so they inadvertently undermine CX efforts. They're just doing their own job, doing they've been asked to do, um, and accidentally undermining your, your, um, your CX focus. And the second one is that... Um, uh, some people will take some uh, some actions that do clash with CX, uh, even when they do, uh, even when they are aware of your CX uh, focus, you know, because they have uh, competing priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so again, you know, you end up with uh, an undermining of, of your CX. Can you give us an example of either of those where they're sort of inadvertently um, not supporting you or almost actively uh, undermining you? Uh, sure, absolutely. Well, you know, the the um, the first case where they really don't don't understand. You know, um, uh, oftentimes, you know, uh, we see that in say uh, uh, legal or, or security and risk departments, for instance. You know, where where a legal department may, for instance, um, uh, have some sort of uh, legal guidance that they uh, they don't realize is really um, uh, really tying people's hands in terms of what mm, they can do. Right. You know, for for customers. Uh, or, or even, you know, you even see this sometimes in customer-facing departments, like, like marketing. You know, for instance, uh, sometimes sales to really understand how it affects, you know, the broader CX. So there was a, this case, for instance, you know, in which a, um, uh, a luxury car company's marketing team um, had this, this really expensive campaign to entice buyers into the uh, showrooms, but uh, they didn't coordinate with the people in the showrooms and and other places throughout the company, and so it led to this really. Um, uh, a really big, big break in the customer experience. Things were disjointed, and and there were miscommunications um, because they didn't really look at the whole customer experience, you know, as a um, as a whole life cycle. Wow. Uh, and uh, in the second case, you know, where where um, they 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 clash more more consciously, you know, with, with CX. Uh, one big situation here, you know, is is sometimes where um, you get. Uh, more sort of traditionally revenue-focused decision makers. Yeah. Um, you know, wh- where they they may be skeptical of this this shift towards uh, focusing more on long-term customer loyalty and CX, like the case of a uh, a satellite TV provider, uh, where the um, the CX team uh, 
identified a major customer pain point on uh, canceling a really, a really expensive satellite TV plan. And uh, the, they wanted people to be able to do it self-service on the website. Right. The more traditional revenue-focused people said, said, no, no, let's make them have to have a really uncomfortable conversation with the retention center <laughs> uh, uh, so that some of them will just keep the plan rather than have the conversation. Right. Um, and, so, and so there was the, the CX team ended up, ended up uh, uh, kind of gaining the, uh, um, uh, gaining the advantage in that one, but it, but it took some doing. Yeah, great point. So we were talking before about um, some of the ways that either uh, parts of your customer experience ecosystem inadvertently without even knowing can cut against better customer experience outcomes or sort of um, intentionally because um, better CX conflicts with their goals. The great example you were sharing of the, um, the, the revenue retention team at a cable company or a satellite company uh, wanting to force customers to call to cancel service because then they could maybe um, harass them into not canceling their service, uh, right? Uh, even, even though that was wildly degrading to the customer experience, I would imagine, um, as a good example. So um, I want to go back, though. You had made a reference to legal and compliance teams as being great examples of, of parts of your ecosystem that could inadvertently you know, make it harder to deliver good experiences, right? Because they're just doing their jobs. They're, they're pretty disconnected from the end customer usually, and they're trying to protect the organization from um, the, you know, liability or, um, you know, uh, actionable instances where they've, they've, you know, made it so that, that you can be sued or something. So I'm wondering, you know, if I'm taking a skeptic's view on this, um, are they, are you saying that legal and, and compliance need to sort of ignore those responsibilities or minimize them in, in, in the, you know, in the service of better experience? Or how do they sort of balance between, you know, minimizing corporate risk and still being conscious of good experiences for customers? Sure, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that they need to, uh, they need to simply ignore their, their primary responsibility of, of minimizing corporate risk. Uh, what, what I am saying is that um, everyone in an organization uh, needs to see CX as a major business function. Mm. And uh, losing customers and going out of business is also a big corporate risk. Right. And, and, and so there are, there are ways for uh, these departments like legal and security and compliance and, and offices like that um, to, to do both, right? And it's really incumbent upon the CX pros to work with them and bring those things in to the CX process from the beginning rather than, rather than trying to present them with some fait accompli or some, you know, something and, and trying to see their, you know, either, you know, force it past them or to uh, skirt their their um, areas of responsibility or something, bring them in from the beginning so that they can understand the effect that their decisions have on the customer experience and work with CX pros to meet their, their obligations to manage corporate risk in a way that also uh, improves, improves the customer experience. You know, there, there, there are all kinds of, of, of cases that I, I uncovered for this, this piece of research um, in, in which, you know, CX pros simply said, uh, they gave some example of where something went horrendously awry, and and their their big lesson was, oh, if only we'd involved legal or or security and risk or compliance, whoever from the beginning, um, we could have avoided all of this trouble, and we could have we could have baked this solution in from from the start. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great point. Um, so you were just there, um, tying that to the first of your five strategies to earn stakeholders' cooperation, right? Involving them. Uh, throughout the customer experience process much earlier. Can you um, maybe walk us through the other four? Um, and so we have the full picture of the, these five different strategies? 
Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, the, the first one, as you say, was really involve the right stakeholders throughout the process. And, um, and you know, I, the, the, the offices we've just been talking about, like legal and, and security and risk and compliance and, you know, technology management is another one there, you know, that, that are, are so central to business and so cross-cutting that really they should be involved in everything. Um, but then there are, there are other offices, too, that, uh, you know, that, that quite aren't, aren't quite as central to every CX effort. And so you might need to, to bring them bring them in as as necessary. Uh, but you know, moving on to, to the other four uh, the other four strategies here. The, the second one is really uh, use use real objective research to make a visceral connection between these stakeholders and, and customers. You know, sometimes uh, CX pros because they they understand the value of the work and they're passionate about their work, they come in with a sort of uh, a sort of moral argument. Hey, let's we all have to do right by customers. Uh, that sort of thing, and and that that can rub some people the wrong way, right? And so it's really yes. important to, to to focus on the data. The data is there, right? We know that a CX approach works, and it can be quantified, and there's an ROI and all of that. Focus on that and pushing out those data insights, um, as well as qualitative data as well. You know, customer verbatim, CX ecosystem map, things like that. You know to the right people at the right time throughout the organization to really show them, um, even if they never interact with customers, that they really do have a deep effect on us. Yeah, so, I love this example you have in your report from, um, from Medica um, about, you know, getting, getting that visceral connection. Do you want to highlight that example? Uh, sure, absolutely. Uh, well, I actually mentioned Medica uh, a couple of times in, in here. Uh, but uh, you know, one of the, one of the fun things that that Medica does is something that's really very uh, uh, very simple. Uh, they actually have a um, a guidebook to terminology mm. right? um, for for terminology that that you should avoid with customers. I and mean, this is a health uh, healthcare company, right? So there's a lot of technical insurance related and medical information, right? And so they have a guidebook that basically has different terminology color coded. Uh, red, yellow, and green. You know, red is avoid this right. terminology, and then they provide an a alternative. You know, instead you should this. <laughs> and they have sort of yellow, which is eh, maybe think twice before you use this sort of terminology. Um, and then green uh, is uh, yes, this is these words, these words, or this you know this language is good. And that's based on their uh, their research into what sort of language customers understand, right? And so they're they're using that that qualitative information. That they and putting it in front of everyone in the company, so anyone can use it as a reference uh, to uh, to communicate better with customers and improve that. That's great, and I think it leads right into your your next um, strategy, right? Uh, giving the stakeholders the tools that they need to be customer centric. Exactly, that's exactly it. You know, because some some offices, even if they want to be customer centric. Uh, they don't necessarily have the expertise or even just the sort of basic level tools to, to do so. You know, and, and that's, that's why things like uh, cross-functional CX advisory groups are so, are so great. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, Mountain America Credit Union has a, has a really good one where um, they, they meet regularly uh, across, you know, across silos to really discuss uh, customer feedback and, and what they can do better. And then this group actually sort of takes its collective wisdom and puts it to work helping individual offices and individual teams uh, make the CX improvements they need to make rather than just saying, hey, you over there, you need a CX improvement. Go right. away and come back when you fix it. Right? They get in there and, they, and they, they help them make the change. You know, um, Champions programs are great too. You, know, you train up people on core CX skills 
and then you uh, you feed them back throughout the organization, right? Um, and even you know distributing uh, other sort of do-it-yourself resources like the the language guidebook that I mentioned, you know, or other things. Uh, some companies just basically make sure that that uh, all their teams have the the basic tools they need: put your paper, post-it notes, markers, you know, to do customer journey and ecosystem mapping, you know, right there, uh, right there in the moment when they need to. That's the sort of basic level sort of logistical support uh, yeah. that, that, that teams need to, uh, to stay customer focused. Great. So then uh, last two uh, strategies that in, in the report? Sure. Um, uh, the, the fourth one is really make sure that, that your partner organizations have skin in the CX game uh, because so many companies really underestimate the importance of partner companies in, uh, in the CX ecosystem. Uh, now, sure, it's easier, you know, when, when partners are really delivering front-end services like managing a call center or something. Right. You know, but, but partners behind the scenes have a huge effect as well. You know, maybe, uh, maybe partners are uh, uh, doing uh, software support, payment processing, data integration, cleaning, you know, uh, physical locations. Right? They all have effect, an effect on the customer experience. And, and so you've really got to, you know, ensure the right sort of, a customer-focused cultural fit uh, before you partner with an organization. But we still see this all the time, you know, um, customer-focused companies making partnering decisions based on, you know, old, outmoded thinking like supply chain efficiency or something like that. And, you end, and, and that means that the company they end up partnering with uh, doesn't really care about the role it plays in the customer experience, and you can't get them. They're just not designed. They're not there yet. Yeah. And, and the other one is, is really treating those partners uh, like employees, you know, both in terms of uh, integrating them fully into, into your own expectations, into your own training, into your own reward structure. Right. right? To, to really help create a, a seamless uh, customer experience, uh, no matter whether your customers are dealing with you or dealing with a partner, uh, the customer shouldn't know the difference. Yeah, well, and because and the customers largely won't know the difference, right? So um, it doesn't get you off the hook that they're not your actual employees. Absolutely not. Customers do not care. That is not an excuse. Um, and your final one, um, not intuitive to me right away, I'll be honest. So uh, make the case to our audience that turning government into a customer experience ally is possible and, 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 and a good strategy to uh, use. Sure, sure. Um, it, it's true. It's not immediately intuitive, but... Uh, the fact is that government regulations and laws have a huge impact on the customer experience. The CX pros really need to help their companies um, shift the focus of their government relations efforts to help uh, improve the customer experience. Uh, and this means working with the, those government relations offices um, to identify laws and regulations that are hurting the customer experience uh, and and work on uh, work on changing. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great point. I, I was being slightly, only slightly, tongue in cheek with my um, skepticism because I mean I think if you, if I look at something like the ACA, the uh, you know Affordable Health Care Act, the, a lot of the health insurers after the legislation got passed, that was when they, it was their cue to take customer experience seriously, really for the first time. Um, Absolutely. And so that's a good example of, of government regulation uh, or legislation in this case being a spur to delivering better customer experiences, in part because it opened up a um, competitive marketplace in a, in a way it hadn't really been uh, opened before. In fact, I think that um, uh, um, utility companies are really the, the leaders in this area because they, they have uh, a lot of very active 
uh, oversight, you know, government oversight. And yeah. so uh, a lot of them have, have really taken a proactive stance on, on uh, helping, helping those committees understand what they can do to help uh, utilities improve the customer experience. Uh, and also keep those oversight committees up to speed on what they're doing to improve the energy. Yes, it's a great point. I've talked to several utilities who have explicitly said good customer experience for them, which is you know maybe not intuitive because they're regulated monopolies most most of the time, is in part to keep regulators off their back too. Um, so, you know, that's the, the other side of this is, well, maybe if we can't gov- get government to proactively help us um, as an ally, we deliver good experiences so that they're not hearing as many complaints from um, their constituents about our service. Exactly. And, you know, if you think that doesn't matter, uh, you just, you know, just ask uh, some, uh, some big companies recently that had their, um, uh, their proposed merger uh, nixed by the U.S. government in large part because of their 4CX records. Yes, uh, right. Um, uh, Comcast and Time Warner Cable springing immediately to mind, right? Exactly. So, um, Rick, final question for you. Um, this sounds all these all sound like reasonable things that a customer experience professional and their team should do, um, but it sounds like a lot of work. So, uh, what do you propose? Um, should they just uh, should before they do any of these? Should they uh, ask for additional headcount to make it happen? <laughs> uh, no, not necessarily. Okay. Uh, I- I think that I think that there are are really two things to think about here. The first one is to work smarter rather than harder. And what I mean here is that uh, when I talk to a lot of CX pros, uh, they end up making a lot of more, a lot more work for themselves because they don't uh, follow these sort of guidelines from the beginning. Yeah. Right. And so they think they've accomplished an awful lot, but then they spend so much time and effort spinning their wheels and backtracking. Right. Uh, um, uh, to try to try and actually make their proposal happen. So. So work smarter rather than harder, I think, is the first key. And the second thing is uh, with things like champions programs and CX advisory councils and uh, training programs and all that sort of thing, you really decentralize uh, the CX effort in some ways. And so that, that central CX body becomes a sort of, a sort of um, uh, cross-silo body, a sort of centralized training organization, a centralized data and research repository, uh, but doesn't become the only people throughout the organization that have a focus on CX. You know, those, those programs that really decentralize uh, and, and spread CX interest and knowledge and techniques throughout the organization uh, are really, I think, uh, uh, the future of making sure that this sort of thing can happen. Yeah, I like those two together, Rick, because on the one hand, you're saying that it's, you know, to get everyone um, in the ecosystem all the stakeholders playing their role properly um, is a real point of leverage for a CX team, right? If they can get everyone sort of working together and playing, contributing to this, um, it extends their capabilities, right? It, it, it makes their, um, their work more, um, more impactful. Um, but that requires them to then support all those stakeholders and all those different parts of the ecosystem with the right training, with the right you know, data, with the right skills development, so that they can um, play those roles and continue to uh, mature in how they contribute to the right experience. That's exactly it. So I, I, th- those two fit clearly together. So, so thank you, Rick. Um, I'll, I'll highlight the report again. I, I think well worth a read uh, for our listeners. It's called Getting to Yes, Five Strategies to Earn Cooperation from Customer Experience Ecosystem Stakeholders. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's CX Cast. Thanks again to Rick for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this week's CX Cast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at s-s-t-e-r-n at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality.